Hello and welcome to the Future Tribe podcast. Each week we'll be talking about getting things done. We'll talk to people who've built up their businesses, pulled off amazing projects and cover everything from psychology and strategy to the tips and tricks that will help make your dream a reality. We're the podcast that's all about empowering the optimists and the go-getters. I'm your host, Jermaine Muller. You're listening to the Future Tribe podcast and this episode is just getting started. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another week of last two weeks on Tuesday. So this week's episode, we're going to kick off with um, a big announcement, I think, in our books. Um, We've decided to spring for the um, weekly release schedule now instead of doing a a fortnightly. Um, Of course, I'm joined by Hayden. Um, How are you today, Hayden? Not too bad, Jermaine, living the dream. <laughs> That's good. Um, the big thing I think Hayden and I were chatting was that we've had a few episodes where we're trying to cover the last two weeks on Tuesday. Um, and we've had a few episodes go sort of into the 40, 50 minute sort of bracket. And I think we both agree that um, that's not because we're talking too much. Part of it is that, but even if we try and cut down the news articles um, or the things worth talking about, some weeks are really, really big. So by doing it weekly, um, it's a bit more work for Hayden. It's a, it's a bit more time that Hayden and I have to chat on Zoom. But um, I think what we end up with is a better, bigger picture of what's going on in the world out there in, yeah. in terms of business and marketing. And and we also get to uh, yeah go a bit deeper into the topics because I think when we're trying to cover two weeks worth of content in a 40-minute show, I mean, it means that realistically we can like spend about, what, like three or four minutes on a story? Yeah, which doesn't allow for much depth. Yeah, not at all. It's pretty service level. So hopefully the new format changes that. Hopefully uh, we get a bit more informative now. <laughs> and we get to, um, it's a very easy modification. So instead of last two weeks on Tuesday, um, we're just going to be last week on Tuesday, which is um, not a huge change in the naming structure, which makes things easy as well. Um, all right, let's get the ball rolling with um, Amazon. So I think um, in the last episode, we would have talked about Apple releasing the new iPhones. Um, this week, it's another another tech giant releasing a whole bunch of stuff. What do you think of, of the new products, Hayden? Did you have a look? I think there were something like 17 new products uh, announced, um, including products through the companies that Amazon's acquired over the years, including Ring, which is the smart home sort of device, and Eero, mm. which is a networking device. Um, anything stand well, out for you? Um, I mean... Not particularly. I think what stood out more than all of this is, as you said, like the quantity of how many products they're launching at one time. I mean, you sort of equated it to a strategy where they're just throwing anything at the wall and hoping it sticks. I mean, they're selling everything from rings to like Google home sort of competitors to even, you know, a device you can put on your dog that basically keeps it, you know, keeps it in the yard and gives you an alert if your dog has run away and stuff. So it's interesting how the smart home seems to be a market that Amazon really wants to corner. Yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting concept because it's, it's, uh, they're enabling sort of devices that you can speak to. Um, they've, they've got, um, a new, uh, glasses frame that they're calling echo frames. And then there's echo loop, which is a ring where you can ask questions. But Mm. what I've seen a lot of discussion around is that, See, it makes sense for Google to do this sort of thing because Google's main product is sort of a question answer service. 
where Amazon isn't actually in that space. Amazon makes their money through, um, let's be honest, at the end of the day, um, making you shop for stuff and buy stuff. Sure. But I think like the argument, especially with, um, what, what is their equivalent to Google home? The thing is it echo. Yes. Is it called? The Amazon echo, um, which is powered by Alexa. Yeah. So my understanding of that was basically that they incorporate this, you know, into their product line, not only so they can give you uh, a piece of technology that you can talk to and do all that cool stuff with, but it was a way to like facilitate more purchases from Amazon. Like I'm pretty sure they had the functionality where if you said Alexa, um, you know, refill this, you know, refill my lot, like laundry detergent, yes. it would do that. So yeah, but it is interesting now how a lot of these seem to not have a lot of utility outside of like taking calls. They seem to just sort of be wearable technology. Yeah, it's almost, I don't know. It's like, it's like technology for the sake of technology though. Like, I mean, look at this, Amazon Echo Glow. It's a nightlight for kids. Um, like, yeah. And it, well, that one is especially frivolous to me because it's like, I'm pretty sure right now you can buy like light bulbs that change colors and stuff and you can change it with your iPhone. Yeah. So is the only difference between this one and like those products, the fact that you can talk to it, the Alexa integration. I, I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's a bit scary. Like um, a lot of people again have been making comments about they've got rings and they've got the, the glass frames. Now they're putting a microphone in whatever they can. We've already, sort of been aware that they're listening to smartphones and listening to home-based sort of devices like Google Home. So they're just trying to follow you as much as possible. I guess the next step for them would be once they work out the battery drain issue, no doubt it's only because of the battery um, that they've held back, but they're going to chuck a, a camera on those devices, aren't they? That's just, you can see I that hope, coming. Hopefully, you know, this whole product range isn't for nefarious purposes i hope it's not like a spying tool which i, I doubt it is I'm, i i truly think that amazon is a company that is always trying to innovate and stuff like that and it just seems like you know making smart ovens and you know new ring cans and stuff like that seem to be the way to do it well and they hope that they're onto something and probably just they want to utilize all these companies that they buy yeah well at the end of the day by doing this the Googles and the Apples of this world, if they were ever thinking about, because Google had mm. Google Glass, um, which was these frames. Um, I guess the pro here, the, the good news is that they're going to push everyone else forward at the end of the day. Because, you know, if, if Amazon's doing this, um, whether it sticks or not, it's going to put a bit of pressure on Google and Apple to sort of come up with their own version of, sure, of this sure. solution. Um, Sort of like, I guess, Tesla with the electric cars. It's not that, you know, we've had electric cars since the 90s, but no one pushed it forward to the, to the extent where enough people were thinking about it that it made, you know, companies think, hold on, if we're not in this space, um, then we're sort of being left behind. So we should probably, you know, try and, try and get into this space mm. ourselves and um, not let them Yeah, they're us. almost becoming the biggest player in like the smart home space by default because there seem to be a lot of smaller, well, not smaller, smaller in like comparison to Amazon, I guess, uh, people who are making, you know, smart fridges and stuff like that. And as I said before, um, lights that integrate with your phone, basically. Mm. Um, so it seems that Amazon want to like, I don't know, be at least the top dog in that space. And we'll see if Google and Apple, like you said, respond, but... I don't think that's something that especially Google would be particularly interested in. 
Yeah, it's not necessarily their sort of bread and butter. Um, I guess it'll just be interesting to watch. Now, moving on, um, not too long ago, we saw that uh, Facebook's mother company, well, Facebook, um, who's the mother company of Instagram, got rid of Instagram-like counts. Um, and now they're getting rid of the same like counts on Facebook. And that happened on last last Friday. Um, interesting move. Mm. Uh, well, now that we've now that we've lived with um yeah a lack of Instagram likes for a couple of weeks now, or it might even be a couple of months now, I'm not too sure. What do you think of it? Has it been like a noticeable difference? Uh, it's never really bothered me personally, and I think you can still see how many people liked your own post. Possibly, um, it's just not publicly visible. Mm. And I'm pretty I'm pretty sure as well. If you have enough like mutual. Um, mutual accounts liking, you know, each other's stuff. But you could actually still see like exact a majority number. of people who like it. It just doesn't give you that, you know, yeah, yeah. Number, I mean, exact number right under the for photo. For people on video, you can see this, um, this sort of, I guess it's an equation that I'm, I'm looking at um, from a collection of studies. I didn't find the harm that Facebook can do, and I guess it's going back to mental health. I had I had someone ask me the other day if it was. Um, due to a business reason that Facebook got rid of the like count. I couldn't think of a business reason. I don't know. Can you think of any sort of business reasons, business benefits for, for Facebook? Nah, it all, it all seems to be driven by, well, maybe the business decision in general is that Facebook and all these social media companies understand that, you know, while people love their products, it is having a negative effect on their mental health um, with this lifestyle envy that they sort of uh, coin it where you look at other people and how many likes they're getting in the lifestyle they're living and you feel a lot worse about yourself. So, you know, it might be a sort of reverse engineered yes. business decision where they see that people are unhappy. So they're trying to shift their service delivery to make their, you know, um, their user base just a bit more consistently happy while using their product. Cause that's like a yeah. big thing in experiential marketing, making sure that people are actually enjoy experience. Using your and product. as um, TechCrunch puts it, if Facebook wants to build a social network that people continue to use for another 15 years, it has to put their well-being first, as in they have to put the people first um, above brands, yeah. above engagement, above ad dollars. Um, and I guess that's what it comes down to. So ultimately it's sort of an indirect business decision. It's not going to add more dollars to the bottom line at the moment, but um, I'm sure long term it'll be it'll be good for facebook and um you know not not sort of being negative but that's why they're doing it i would think yeah well i think at the end of the day like the gamification i think was good to a certain extent because it pushed people to i I hate to say but like make Mm. better content whether that be on like a personal or professional level but i think it also hamstrung people who want to post stuff and you know if you're an influencer you know, you've heard the horror stories of them taking a million photos or it takes them, you know, weeks or days to, you know, get a post just exactly right because you get that instant feedback and if those likes aren't coming Everyone in, can like, see it. Everyone can see it and it's almost like a public <laughs> yeah, yeah, humiliation yeah, yeah. of like, oh, I only got 17,000 likes on an account with 800,000 followers. Anyway, like it's not important. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting to think But about. I mean, it goes, it goes to show it's not, it's not the important part of it all at the end of the day. Definitely not, yeah. Um, moving on, um, Snapchat extending video ads to three minutes and adding new features and goal-based bidding. It's interesting to me because, um, I don't know about you, but I don't really use Snapchat. Um, 
I haven't really, I never really got into it. Yeah. Um, it's a young cat. Facebook. I don't think you should be too ashamed of that. I don't, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like on the verge of people who sort of use it and stuff. I'm not doing like Snapchat streaks or any of that lame stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, 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 I remember it being sort of fairly big, but um, I've never, I've never directed clients towards Snapchat. I don't, I can't think of anyone who's thought about advertising on Snapchat. Mm. Um, nevertheless is interesting because I thought Snapchat would cease to exist by now. So they're sort of continuing to still exist. Um, and I didn't mean that in a negative way. I just thought, you know, Facebook was going to just kill them. Like they killed Google plus um, and Google has much more money than Snapchat would. Yeah. So um, um, yeah, but it's in, yep. Sorry. Go well, first. I was just going to say on the topic of you, you know, commenting on how a lot of people you interact with don't, even you know think of snapchat as a place to um advertise and stuff i think that has a lot to do with uh you know their user base is quite young um as i was saying before it is younger people and same with platforms like tiktok i feel like i'm not yeah. i'm not i'm not trying to say that these platforms are you know a huge part of the online advertising space i don't think they are but i think for people who are trying to target that young you know that younger audience those 12 to 15 year olds or maybe even a bit mm. younger than that, you know, 10 to 15 year olds, it seems to be the place to go. And the article that you had that you're reading from basically says as well that more and more people are watching the, the sponsored content where, you know, mm. a, a company like IGN will be on the explore page of Snapchat and they can direct a few, a bit of traffic through there. So, you know, I don't know. While I don't think it would help any like local business owner, I definitely think if you are like a website who, I don't know, for example, does like toy reviews and stuff like that, it wouldn't, you know, this is pretty big. News. Yeah. But then it opens up that question of it's tough, but you know, should businesses selling to 10 to 15, well, should businesses sell to 10 to 15 year olds or should they be selling to the parents? Um, you know, are, are 10 to, I, I guess, sure. You know, sure. it's an, it's an age old question. We've discussed it in the past. Uh, when we were talking about the YouTube channel that sold toys. Um, mm. Yeah. It's a tough space and it's, it's a tough question to ask because, you know, it's for a long time. Like when we watch, you know, when you watched Cartoon Network, no doubt Hot Wheels would have advertised or Barbie would have been advertised um, because they know that the best way to sell you a new doll or sell you a new, new race track um, is to, sort of make you hyped up about it and then go get you to talk to your parents, I guess. Um, that's why they're doing it. But then on the flip side, you know, businesses like IGN, um, that's another good way or it's another, I guess, industry that could really benefit from this sort of medium where they're not necessarily trying to sell you on anything. They're just trying to get more eyes on their content. Yeah, they're trying to direct you to, you know, stuff you want to know about. Like if you... Yeah. Like you're on Snapchat, you see a, a top 10, you know, games of August coming out. Like you like playing video games, but you're not, you know, tuned into like the journalistic gaming world or whatever you'd like to call it. Like, you know, it's a good way to direct people there. I, and again, I've said, you know, we both set our pieces on the ethical problems of advertising to young people. But, you know, if I was a company and there was no regulations against it, it'd be hard to resist. Well, yeah, why not? Why not get into it? I guess. Yeah. Um, which I'm just trying to find out which episode we talked about um, the YouTube sort of tightening down on the kids channel. Yeah, I think it was two weeks ago or something. Two weeks ago, so episode 
eight possibly. Mm. Um, but for anyone listening, anyone who wants to um, sort of listen listen to what we had to say about that a bit more. Um, yeah, but it's episode eight. For it, episode eight, um, yeah, there's a bit more in there and we sort of uh, went into a little bit more. Now moving on, um, Dada or Duda, um, which is this, I've seen ads for, it's a, um, it's a website builder essentially. Yeah. Um, they've just raised another 25 million um, US dollars from an equity um, group. Um, they, their aim is to um, more or less speed up and make it easy to build websites, yeah. um, speed up the process of building websites. Um, you know, that the article here from TechCrunch again says they're trying to take on WordPress. I guess the reason they've, they've picked WordPress out of everyone is because WordPress is just the biggest yeah, well, um, top dog. Yeah. Exactly. And um, Automatic announced a $300 million raise at a $3 billion valuation um, not too long ago. So, I mean, interesting to sort of know that there's this other option out there. Um, I personally, you know, massive fan of WordPress. We've built a business on WordPress uh, to an extent. um, And I don't see anyone really challenging WordPress but again, comes down to the whole Amazon conversation of, at the very least, this helps mm. put pressure on the big, big players to sort of keep pushing and keep innovating and keep um, not to stay stagnant. Yeah, so at the very worst, good. you know, you want more competitors in the game as a com- consumer because, as you said, it'll push WordPress to, you know, offer a better service and stuff like that. Uh, looking into it though, I did look at uh, some comparisons of what Duda is that how you would pronounce it. Um, yeah, uh, let's just say Duda. Let's say Duda and WordPress. Um, I hate reading these made-up words. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> but yeah, comparing them, it seems to be that Duda is strictly a subscription-based thing. So it's not like WordPress where there is a free version and then you can pay for you know, certain themes or certain content that or tools that you'd like to integrate into your site. But mm-hmm. what a lot of people are saying is that if you're a small business who, you know, wants to get a website up very quickly and you don't want to have to do a lot of maintenance and you just want stuff to work, then Duda is actually, you know, not a bad option to go with. But again, it's something that I always say, like a website is such a key pillar of your business that you should probably like have a good, you know, look at all these options, have it, you know, play with yeah, them before yeah. you commit to anything and read a lot of reviews. I mean, so. There's Duda, there's WordPress, there's Squarespace, there's Wix. Mm. There's a whole bunch of uh, options that you can go with if you don't want to manage the technical side of things or if you don't want to get a web developer to work on your website. Mm. Ultimately, though, you know, you do want to go to that level um, eventually as a business, but then that requires a lot of growth as a business before you need that level. Yeah, of, and, um, and that's what they're saying as well. They say, like, one of the big drawbacks of Duda is, like, obviously you know, it's good for the entry level business, but like if your business starts taking off, like the scalability of that isn't quite optimized yet where I don't know, you Mm. can speak on this better than I can. Whereas WordPress, you can build the framework out of the start. And then if you want to take it, you know, to a way bigger scale, it's a bit easier to do that. But I don't know. I was speaking out of time. Well, it's completely scalable WordPress. Um, And I guess the benefit with WordPress.org, for example, is that you, because you can move from server to server where with Duda, if you were to have a server failure at Duda, you don't really have another option. You just have to sort of continue to use the servers. You can't just migrate the code to another, another server. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, we're getting into sort of the weeds of, you know, um, 
own mediums and own channels and um, rented channels. And this, I guess, falls into more of that rented sort of space. Um, But, you know, there's, there's a reason why companies like this exist. And um, ultimately um, it doesn't really, it's interesting that they're trying to go for the, like the digital agencies who, who don't necessarily have a whole lot of development skill because I'd be very concerned sort of working in this space that if a strategic partner doesn't have the development capacity or the development sort of side of things, you get this, um, you can easily fall into a position where your strategic partner is, is, isn't fully aware of what's technically capable and that's never a good sort of yeah. to have yeah. because, you know, one person's advising based off limited knowledge. Um, but um, again, it, it might work for some people. It might not, I guess, options never or having, having different choices um, is never a bad thing is always a good thing. So um, yeah, that that's fair enough. Um, moving on financial institutions dominate top 10 customer experience brands as voted by Australian consumers um, with Singapore airlines at the top. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Singapore airlines. Really? So I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I would fly Singapore airlines whenever I can, even if it costs 30% more. I've never flown them. Are they really that good? Like, what are they doing different to the other? Everything. What, what is they're everything? Just, they just take care of you, I guess. Um, you know, I've never had an experience with Singapore Airlines where you have to buy food. It's all included. Okay. Um, if you want more, you just ask for it. Mm. There's no, you know, you get only one drink or one juice. It's sort of keep them coming if, if you need it. Um, they're always there to help you out. Any um, hotels? Yep, yep, hotels, of course. Oh, you're joking. Um, <laughs> just very old school, very, very good sort of service. So I'm not surprised. Mm. Um, this is this was done by KPMG, so it's KPMG's Customer Experience Excellence 2019. Mm. Interesting that financial institutions dominated the top ten. So number two is RACQ Insurance, number three is Bendigo Bank, four is PayPal, five is Afterpay, then there's ING, NRMA at number seven, mm. RACV Insurance at number nine, Dan Murphy's number eight, and Subway number ten. Subway, um, yeah. It's an interesting, interesting result. Mm, but why, is, why do you think there are so many financial institutions there? And it seems like the re, like, I think there are only like three or four brick and mortar retailers on that list. I'm surprised Dan Murphy's was so high. People must love their grog, man, because <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> Dan Murphy's is doing for their customer He's service doing experience amazing. that is making like. Yeah, but it's it's an interesting mix because you've got PayPal, which is all online, so same as Afterpay. Mm. Um, so you couldn't even go in store. Um, and then you got a bunch of insurance companies as well. Well, I think what they were alluding to in the article, at least, and what I was trying to crack onto there is they're saying that while there is no physical customer service here, is that, you know, I, the iconic is there, right? And like their customer mm-hmm. service is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. they, their website works so well. Their shipping is super quick. I've had personal problems where I've had to send stuff back. Um, and they've been super responsive and it's been no problem, got refunded in a couple of days. Right. But what they're trying to, what I think the article is intimating is that while these uh, don't have any physical customer service, their online infrastructure and their online service delivery is impeccable, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and But what I'm surprised about though is that, um, I mean, looking at the list quickly, there's no telcos on there, which makes sense because people really dislike telcos. Yeah, man. 
Um, but then I feel like banks and insurance are sort of right up there with, um, and for people who are uh, listening to the podcast, if you hop on the video, you can actually see the top, top 50 um, um, through screen share. But I mean, it's, I mean, you might say it's surprising, but like, I don't know. There's not a lot of points of difference between banks. I mean, you can't really offer that drastically different interest rates to different customers. So I think the point of yeah. banks is your online infrastructure, but also just being able to, you know, help out your customers, make sure that like, you know, you're not like every other bank where it's like, I'm trying to, my card got stolen and you're not refunding me my mm-hmm. money and stuff like that. You know, I think it's about making sure that the customer's happy. And I guess that's a point of that's, there's very few ways to differentiate, but looking further in the list, I mean, there's Suncorp, Suncorp Bank further down. Mm. Um, and that's what I mean with the customer service. BWS. I feel like that's 100% of the big liquor, liquor land. What's going on here? People love, people love their liquor, man. I, I think it, people are just drinking it and probably in better moods, you know, like on in retrospect. <laughs> like this. Yeah. First choice liquor. Like, I feel like 100% of liquor brands in Australia have been represented um, on this list. And then Woolies and Coles right next to each other, Big W, Kmart, um, the reject shop. That's fantastic. I wonder what sort of, I mean, I, don't, I haven't been in a reject shop in like 10 service. years, man. I got to say. Yeah. And, and it's sort of at the checkout is sort of the only point, I guess, but, and then IGA, which is interesting because they're all independent. Mm. Um, so obviously they're doing something right and they must be, you know, have perfected sort of this franchise model um, to get things right. But yeah, looking at the list, it's, it's not a lot of online brands. A majority of them seem to be, I mean, there's Netflix up there, but majority of them are brick and mortar, um, not in the top 10, but in the top 50. Mm. Um, mm. A lot of them are with, you know, the good guys just, just ahead of JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman down at 44. Um, a little bit surprised there. And then Costco, which is, I mean, underrepresented, I would think in Australia compared to all these other brands, there wouldn't be a whole lot of Costco's around. Yeah, um, I mean, we have one in Canberra, but. But that's one, you know, that's compared to what, like five chemist warehouses. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and five, five Kmart's. I mean, yes, I just meant more in terms of, it'll be interesting to see how they actually calculated this. Um, you know, obviously they didn't reach out to every single person. Um, but they seem to have a score of some sort that they base this all off. Um, utility companies and the public sector apparently performed poorly sitting at the bottom um, amongst rankings. Not a real surprise there. I don't think anyone loves to get the new, the, the latest electricity bill and yeah. have to see how much well, more they're paying. Well, but, utility companies are basically monopolies anyway. They don't have a lot of incentive to, you know, spruce yeah, up their much. customer service and, blow your hair yeah, back it's definitely. Like, what are you going to do just not use water not use electricity <laughs> yeah on, not bro. use electricity yeah. um revenue growth for the top 50 brands is 54 percent greater than the bottom 50 um not surprising there yep. makes total sense and uh, ebitda which is earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization growth um of 202 percent greater um which just goes to show a good customer service um, 
is just a good thing to have, which is no surprise there. Um, Companies leading the way in customer experience have one and a half times as many engaged employees, which is a big thing. I mean, for me, I think about it all the time to, to sort of how I make sure that not people who, not people necessarily who just work for me, but who work with me, um, make sure they're engaged. Um, cause no doubt when you're engaged, you're, you're editing podcasts better. You're c- communicating better. You're sort of yeah. e- even out there. Once you finish work, you're out there representing the podcast and, and future theory, for example, yeah. much better than if you were oh, of course. very happy. There's been a million studies about like universities and stuff like that, where they say the students who are most engaged, who like go to their university, go to their lectures and, you know, care about the most end up doing the best. So like, I'm sure that applies yeah. to the business world as well. Like, <laughs> so no real surprise there. Yeah. yeah. Moving on. Um, we work. Um, I thought this was an interesting one. It's just in the, again, in the business sort of space. Um, co-working is big. I would think uh, I would say um, we have our own little space. Of course, you're sitting on in one of the permanent, permanent desks um as we chat right now yeah, enjoying the um, facilities exactly uh a lot of lot lot to be said for sort of sharing utilities and sharing facilities because it lowers your costs naturally mm. we work with is a company that does the same either in the co-working space but for a long time they've been valued like a tech company mm. and the reason that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is because the reason tech companies can be valued very highly is because their overall margins are quite high. Um, That's the whole point of tech um, because it's because they have fewer people to get more done essentially. So it doesn't make sense that the WeWork where it's very heavy on people would be valued that high, but they were going to IPO. I'm not actually sure if they IPO, but they, they went from like something like $50 billion valuation, 50 billion us to like a 75% drop in valuation within sort of a few days. Um, including firing their CEO and, and a whole bunch of sort of things happening. I personally um, think that um, it's, it's a thing. It's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Like Uber has a huge valuation as well. Mm. It's not real business the way I see it. Like it's, it's when you're playing with someone else's money and pumping a whole lot of someone else's money, you're not, it's not, well, it's, not that it's not true business. It's respectable betting, right? Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, you know, you're not doing anything per se, but I, I guess why the, like the reason I don't personally have a problem with it is because it's like a gamble, right? Where like you can invest a hundred dollars into, you know, a hundred different startups. You're going to lose that hundred dollars on the majority of them or, you know, mm. end up with $50 from the majority of them. But on the one that succeeds, you get a 500 you know, or even like a 5,000 times multiple yeah. return. Yeah. And that's like why you do it. I think the one thing about WeWork that I really didn't understand was at least with Uber and its valuation and Snapchat, it's like you're innovating in your own sphere. Like it's hard to, you know, evaluate these companies because, you know, they haven't existed before where it's like WeWork as much as mm. bells and whistles, they want to chuck on it. You're just basically leasing office space. Like I know it's an understood sort of business model. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you're doing it to entrepreneurs, obviously. And there's like, you know, a value um, transfer and the fact that you're giving, you know, people shorter term options and in return, they give you more money that you can put towards the lease. I get all that, but I just think that it's something like that has existed and there are a million other companies 
I think there's like one called IMG, not IMG, but I'll have a look. Yeah, the, the big group owned by Regis. Yeah. Uh, sorry, who owns Regis? What are they? Um, IWG group. I, IWG, damn, I was almost there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they have like one-tenth the market valuation, but, mm. but have... But they're way bigger way, in terms way of actual... Bigger, um, way bigger, yeah. not in terms of like, just in terms of like square feet, but in terms of like the countries they're in, which I yeah. find crazy. Yeah. And I don't know, reading about it, it seems like WeWork is in a lot of trouble. Right. They're in massive trouble. And part of the problem here, I think, is SoftBank, who raised something like $100 billion um, a few years ago for something they call the Vision Fund, um, including money from Saudi Arabia and all these different places to then invest into businesses. Mm. They poured millions and millions. Um, but, you know, the catch there again is SoftBank, you were talking about sort of a gamble that paid off. Um I'm just reading up again here. They invested, uh, who was the guy? Well, one of the, one of the main guys in, at SoftBank invested 20 million into, um, Alibaba, the Chinese company. Yeah. And if you heard of them yeah, yeah. and, uh, guess how much of that $20 million is worth an hour. That'd be crazy. It'd be like a hundred billion. I was going to say 40 um, million. That is crazy. Like, <laughs> like that it goes to show it's like, what type of return are you going to get in any sort of space? Like, yeah, so I mean, in this space, he did. You did the math. He did the maths, and the maths is a uh, five thousand five hundred fifty times growth in the initial investment over a period of years. Um, so I mean, that's great. It's it's insane. And then then they then they get the tools, which is essentially in this case just the money to go and spend it um, on places like WeWork, Uber. They've invested in Slack, all that. So yeah. Fair enough, but I guess this is this is doing business at a different level than you and I will ever understand. Um, yeah, yeah. I, but again, like my takeaway from it again is that at least with Uber, I think that they have like you know a smart solution to a modern day problem. They had identified they're innovating in the market, and you know they're the type of guys who will oh you know we've done something super innovative. We'll worry about being profitable later. Where it's like mm-hmm. we work, you haven't really even done this like. Shared office space has been a concept for a while now. And obviously like mm-hmm. you guys were one of the first to do it, but. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't really justify everything else. No. Um, moving on, the ad market is set to grow soon. Um, so standard media index, according to the standard media index. Um, interesting. Um, I think this together with some other news that we had around um, Twitter cracking down on financial scams and sort of these changes happening and the ACCC um, doing some, um, well, releasing a report, I think it was. Let me just find that. Um, yeah, I mean, that market bouncing back is interesting news uh, following ACCC's digital platforms recommendation uh, after an 18-month inquiry um, into sort of this digital media space um, what's interesting to me is that sometimes we find that government or sort of the lawmaking side of things take a little work, little while to catch up to innovation and sort of where the actual market is at. Um, and now that they are, the ad market's bouncing back. The ad market has been made much more affordable by the likes of Facebook and, and Snapchat even, yep. um, where print in the past would be what advertising would have meant for a whole 
massive investment yeah. um, that you couldn't really track. Um, so it's encouraging. Um, yeah, and it's encouraging, but yeah, I think yeah. what people got to understand about all this stuff is like, it is cyclical, just like, you know, economic spending and ep- economic downturn. There are always, you know, overcorrections, And basically this has been a, you know, I think either it's in Australia or New Zealand, I'm pretty sure it's New Zealand. It says that there was an 11 month period where, you know, ad spending was consistently going down. And basically what mm-hmm. this does is that, you know, in this time, you know, companies become increasingly more confident in ads, you know, because obviously they're getting greater returns for less ads. That's just the way supply and demand for these things tend to work. So demand builds up and then it comes back out of recession, you know, like all mm-hmm. things do. And um, in the article also, it says that basically what's going to be driving this growth going forward is like retail um, advertisements. So yeah, it's uh interesting news. I don't really know what it means for the average Joe Blow. Uh, who's not not to a whole this, lot. I would say just interesting um, to know, but yeah. And if you're a business owner, um, again, advertising, I hear a lot of people talk about sort of word of mouth being their big sort of channel. Um, but an experienced person would say the word of mouth isn't really a marketing channel. It's just sort of a good way to grow a business initially. And it's a good byproduct of good service. But um, ultimately you do want to sort of start, you do want to spend money on advertising. You do want to budget for advertising. Um, and um, no doubt, you know, in, in the lead up to the Christmas period as well, you're going to see more advertising. Um, I guess the difference nowadays is that, it's much more affordable. So you'll see much more ads on Facebook and the like. Um, Now I'm just mindful of the time this episode. I don't want it to drag, drag on for too long. We had a bunch of other things to talk about, including Stripe launching their their own credit card, kick shutting down, which is is, um, social. Well, this sort of messaging platform, Mm. Um, Facebook sort of, talking about how they're, how they're going to handle misinformation and politicians. <laughs> Which is basically um, by not handling it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's tough because I guess they don't want to censor, but yeah, um, we had a bunch of, bunch of things to talk about. Um, we'll include them in the, sh- in the description below. Um, but just in the interest of time, we, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, a reminder from next week onwards, this will be a weekly um episode um on top of the interviews that we do as well uh if you have any thoughts any comments please reach out to us um email hello at future tri.be if you want to feature on the show email us as well we'd love to chat to you we'd love to hear from you um thanks for joining me hayden not a problem um we'll see you all soon future try Thanks for listening to another episode of the Future Drive podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping us. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, email us at hello at f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e. If you haven't already, become a part of the tribe on Facebook. Go to f-u-t-u-r-e-t-r-i dot b-e slash f-b and invite your friends. We're just getting started and we would love to see you there. That's it from us. I hope this episode has empowered you to keep working on bettering your future. It's a pleasure to have you as part of the tribe. See you next time.